Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning, for paving our way so that we could come and worship you. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds to the words that you will be speaking through Denise today. Thank you for bringing us here, for the women who brought food for us to enjoy. And most of all, thank you for being here in our midst. In your precious name we pray. Amen. How was your reading this week? You don't have to answer that to me, but there were so many different elements in that read, wasn't it? You know, so kind of sharing with you before I get started, um, I w I'm, I'm going to do a flyover at the end. I mean flyover. Because I'm going to land, where I'm going to stay with you is in Matthew 14. And I'm sorry, it's John. It's John 6, 1 through 15, primarily, where I'm going to be. You know, it's interesting, when I first got saved, the pastor of my church sent me to the book of John. And he told me, he said, Denise, this book of love. And I did. I stayed there, I landed there, I dwelt there, and it has always been my favorite chapter. And I think, you know, first verse I ever memorized was John 3.16. That came back to me today, you know. And I think the main element in what I'm teaching is the aspect of for God so loved the world. I'm looking at all of the elements that Jesus did with healing and thinking how many in there he healed out of love that was not going to respond to him. It has opened my eyes to being with people in such a different way that he loved. And he still continues to love regardless. And there were many that came only based on what he could do for them, not based on who he was. Which is interesting, but he continued to heal. So, that's where we're going to go. And isn't it interesting, out of all of the four Gospels, this is written, this in particular, in all of them, with the walking on water, because I think it's interesting, we've got the feeding of the 5,000, then it moves immediately into um, him, him sending them without him, which is deliberately on purpose, because it's a faith issue. If there's anything I've been seeing as I've been reading, ladies, is that if there's anything I think that Jesus is after, is he wants us to live by faith with him. And that's been a good thing. But watching all of the things that he's done to challenge their faith has been amazing to me. So, but listen, as we get in here, to remember, as I'm going to be sharing, but before I do, you know, there is, anyone who has been exposed to the Christian tradition will know the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and that's true. And I was going to go in and I was going to read John 6, 1 through 15, to kind of like refresh our thoughts, depending on where we've been this week, but you know what I did instead? I found a little four-minute clip of exactly what I was going to read to you. So, ladies, roll it. So watch this, and there's going to be a certain element in here that I'm going to teach from. I'm going to ask you if there was anything in here that you saw that might be a little different, okay? Jesus went across Lake Galilee, or Lake Tiberias, as it is also called. A large crowd followed him because they had seen his miracles of healing the sick. Jesus went up a hill and sat down with his disciples. The time for the Passover festival was near. Jesus looked around and saw that a large crowd was coming to him. Where can we buy enough food to feed all these people? He said this to test Philip. Actually, he already knew what he would do. For everyone to have even a little, it would take more than 200 silver coins to buy enough bread. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said, 
There is a boy here who has five loaves of barley bread and two fish. They will certainly not be enough for all these people. Make the people sit down. There was a lot of grass there, so all the people sat down. There were about 5,000 men. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to God, and distributed to the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish. And they all had as much as they wanted. When they were all full, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces left over. Let us not waste a bit. So they gathered them all and filled twelve baskets with the pieces left over from the five barley loaves which the people had eaten. Seeing this miracle that Jesus had performed, the people there said, Surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus knew that they were about to come and seize him in order to make him king by force, so he went off again to the hills by himself. There was something in this before I even watched this and as I've been reading. I had a lot of things that I've been reading and trying to source through and it was all, if you were to have gone in my office, it was all strung out all over the place. But it was yesterday morning because when I went in and I read this in John, I read this like last week. The main thing that stuck out to me through this whole story, which has never happened to me before, is I've read this story over and over again. Because what I'm going to share with you today is, don't forget about the boy. For the first time, Jesus brought to my forefront, that little boy meant a lot to me. When I saw the, when I had read and I kept thinking about this little boy had an integral part in being a part of that, that miracle, I kept praying and asking him, why am I, why am I stuck here? Because I kept asking, and I had not gotten any real answer yet, and I kept digging. I even went into, well actually, because I'm going to share a few things with you about, about walking on water. But I went to good old J. Vernon McGee. <laughs> I found, my mother loved him. I'm telling you what, he is a good person to look up. It's where Jesus led me, and I knew he was, to where it had more about, don't forget about this boy. So I'm going to share with you the things that he shared with me that were, I feel to a certain degree, a little life-changing for me. So I'm going to kind of set the scene with this, where it's the fame of Jesus was spreading like wildfire. You could see that. And also one thing to know that as, as this scene was opening and they were coming, Jesus had already sent, which was interesting to me, which I had forgotten about, but he had already commissioned and, and sent them with authority and power where the disciples were doing their own thing out there which I thought was kind of interesting. But at the same time, they had just come back to kind of circle back around and share with the Lord things that had been happening, but he had just been made aware of the death of John the Baptist. I do believe that, you know, along with being completely exhausted and tired, that he wanted to go away and be alone because that was some of the reads that you would see in some of the chapters where he was going up to pray. And I thought, this had to be difficult for him. John was somebody that I know that he cared for, and I thought that that could be some element of that and just rejuvenating himself. Because I will tell you, prayer and your prayer life, there are some times when I'm so exhausted, when I get 
and I pray, I feel rejuvenated. I think there's something in that. And so as this is, go so with this, you know, and all of these people following him, um, you know, you can understand where the fame, I mean, where this was, was being spread throughout and why the people were wanting to be with him. But no one had performed wonder, wondrous miracles like Jesus had. There wasn't anyone that they were around that were being able to accomplish what he was doing. And no one had spoken with authority like he did as a teacher. Remember, at 12 years old, he spoke with authority. People everywhere wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. Either to reap the physical benefits, you saw when you read in that, and in your scripture reading this week, he goes at that, what and why they were coming after him, for the most part. And it was like healing, they wanted to be healed. The spiritual benefits would be from his preaching, which I think is good, or the social benefits was for some of them it was the most popular thing to do at that point, right? And one of the things I thought too, when Jesus told the disciples, let's get in the boat, let's go, that was his plan A, and sometimes I'm going to tell you plan A don't work. I go to plan B, and sometimes if plan B isn't working, I've got a plan C, so I'm going to tell you, just try to keep your ABCs in line. But Jesus was tired physically and emotionally. Remember, he was still only a man. I think we have to read, I think that that's where his humanity comes in. Having large and demanding crowds follow you must have been exhausting. Because I think about days, haven't you ever been there where all day long there's something going on, one thing after the other. By the end of the day, you just want to get away and just sit. But I'm finding that at times, and I'm watching what he did in that place of exhaustion, he let his daddy refresh him. And he didn't walk away from it. How many times I've just wanted to just quit when God is calling me to do other? To find because what he needed was rest and to spend time with his friends, he went to the other side of Galilee and up to the mountain, primarily to spend time with his daddy. But it didn't work. The crowd followed him up the mountain, but Jesus, being the compassionate Savior that he is, didn't try to escape from them. He began to make arrangements for the organized chaos that was about to ensue. So ladies, and as I'm going further, I feel like having the eyes of Christ, seeing what he saw as he viewed what was coming. Jesus first saw the crowd was hungry. Back in his day, there was no shopping mall food cart courts, remember? Service plazas are fast food drive-ins. They were not available. How lucky are we at this point? These men, women, and children had been following Christ for a while, and they had physical needs. One thing, too, that in, in one of the other um, Gospels, there is a counting of the women. They kind of left, some of them left that out, 5,000 men. But I read something to where with the women and children, there's some people that think it could have gone to 15 to 20,000 people that were fed. While you look, that, that's, not a, that's not something we're seeing but, you know, in Scripture, but it's what some of those that have written had said, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Jesus also recognized that these people had larger spiritual needs than just the mere fact of that they needed to be fed. Even though they didn't know it, they were following Jesus because their hearts were empty. That's what he sees. He sees the physicality of life, but he also sees the spiritual side of life that needs to be ministered to. Yes, they were physically hungry, but they were spiritually starving to death. Finally, Jesus knew that the occasion of the crowd's hunger and the timing of his provision would offer an opportunity to declare who he was. 
He also knew that this would give him an opportunity to shape his disciples' faith even further. This story is a great reminder for us to have eyes like Christ, always on the lookout for opportunities to care physically and spiritually for those that God puts in our path. I think that's so important. Not to make other things more important than who God puts in your path. When he is the one that has put them in your path. So he kind of asked a silly question. I thought this was... With the approaching crowd, Jesus turns to Philip and asks, where you saw, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? That was a deliberate question. Think through your questions, ladies. I'm finding that too. Make them be deliberate. What the answers can be and what you can share. Philip responds, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. This is what I think he, Philip meant because this is how I personally would have responded. This would have been me. If Jesus had been telling me, this is what we need to do, are you, are you kidding me right now? I could find myself being in that situation, looking at all, I'm looking at the resources that are around me, these small resources rather than looking at the one that rises above the lack of resources and moves being able to do. Is there anything too difficult for me to accomplish? And at this point, his disciples had been seeing Jesus do miracles already. Do you see the size of the crowd is what he was asking. I mean, you're looking at the crowd. You're looking at resources. What are we going to do? We don't have that kind of money. There's just no way this is going to happen. Pretty much is what they were thinking. And actually, by that time, they wanted him to send the crowd away anyway. <laughs> like, send them home. Get them out of here. Let's go. Let's rest. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he asked Philip the question. And right on cue, Andrew located a boy. He went out and he searched. And you saw that in that film. And I read that on more than one occasion. Carrying around a basket with a, a mere five barley loaves and two fish. A little boy. Just like Philip before him, Andrew, Andrew analyzed the scenario with great doubt and asked, but what are they what is this for so many? How are we going to feed them? They continue to move out in this place of looking at the reality that they see around them, lacking faith of the one that they've been with. And it's honestly to remember the boy. One of the reasons I think sometimes we have stories of faith is to focus on the minor and seemingly insignificant characters in Scripture. Anything brought me as I was reading this, I thought about... The woman with the might, insignificant, but she is placed in scripture for us to remember her forever because her faith was important to God and what she did. Whenever we learn about the feeding of the 5,000, we typically hear about one Jesus, the crowd and the disciples, but we neglect this central character. His story teaches us so much, and that's what I felt when he was bringing that boy to me. It's like, I've neglected, I have not even thought about this child in this story at all. And the interesting thing, I'm 65 years old. I've been saved since I was in my 20s, and he has waited to this point to bring a little boy to the forefront to teach me. No one in the crowd would have thought that that boy mattered. And you know what I said he, did, he has done too? He has showed us that women matter to him. 
Living in a culture that we are living in, I'm going to tell you, women matter. When we have people thinking that it is the Bible that is literally sending the message that women are not as important as men, God does not feel that way, and he has shown us that over and over again. Children were insignificant at this point as well, but he is showing us children matter, and they matter to him. No one would have imagined that he was carrying in his little basket, and what he was carrying would not only be the provision of the moment, but the basis of one of the most significant sermons Jesus ever preached by what he did. This one little boy in the crowd with a little bit of seafood and bread, but he had been chosen by God to be a significant piece of the Messiah's redemptive plan, not only for that day, but for the rest of human history. No one knew that after this moment, every man, woman, and child who trusted in Jesus and read the Bible, this is what was coming, would know this boy, which is what we're reading about, and how, and know exactly what was in his basket that day, and know how Jesus used him to make the point of points about his identity. A small little boy with five loaves and two fish. Who made the five loaves? His mommy, more than likely. And this was his lunch, and his parents lunch they didn't stand up and they didn't take it back they gave what they had with minimal resources here's what I'm trying to say we will never know which little person God will use and how that is one thing I'm learning that means that we never that we're never lost just lost in the crown crowd we're never without anything to offer we never know who the Lord will claim and use in ways that we can't predict or haven't intended. That goes for us as well. The Lord knows us all. He knows where we are, what we have, and how we can be used. He is the divine author over each and every moment, writing our stories. He wrote this little boy's story. He can do eternally amazing things with the little fragments of our lives and that we're carrying around and that we tend to think aren't worth much. Do you think that little boy and his family came there thinking that the Lord of Lords would take a measly little basket and be able to do what he did with them? You know, and at times there's a different, there's a different response. Whenever I think about the passage of Scripture, I always find myself wondering, what if that little boy had said, and that's what I did when I was reading, to the stranger who came and said that Jesus wanted his food? What if he had run as fast as he could into the crowd and disappeared? What if his parents had said, this is our food, leave it alone? It would have been a completely different story if they had kept what they had for themselves. But the story didn't happen that way. The boy, he was selfless, gave up his little meal, and Jesus did with it what only the Son of God could do. By divine power, a crowd of thousands were satisfied by physical food with plenty of leftovers. Doesn't he always do exceedingly and abundantly more than we would ever imagine when we trust him? I have found that so often in my life when I want to keep to myself and I don't want to sacrifice is when I don't experience this. I think that that's great. And I think it's interesting when he comes because those disciples had not been fed yet. 
And you know, he could have easily, I thought about that too, he could have easily just made it appear like everything else, like the fish with the coin in his mouth, when he needed to pay the taxes. You know, I told one of his disciples, go down, get that fish, and he just makes things appear. But he used his disciples in ways for them to be a part of serving others. And in the serving of others, they were fed. There were 12 baskets left over for 12 disciples. And simultaneously pointed to the eternal source of spiritual food that would satisfy their soul. You're looking that he does go at, that he is the bread of life. What an amazing story. Christ did the impossible through an unremarkable kid in the middle of a very big crowd. This boy never received glory. Only the Messiah did through this. But what he carried in his basket had bigger and more lasting implications than he would have ever been able to grasp. That little boy wouldn't have known that he went on to have him be in the book of life. We just never know what God will ask of us. And that's one of the things I would, I would say to you. We never know when he will ask it. We never know ahead of time what will happen when he does. And we never know how the Lord will deem our little bits and pieces and uses them to give grace to the hungry are those in need. Because that's just the way God works. So be aware and be alert and be willing to give when he's asking. We never know what he's going to ask. And you know, for that little boy in that family, I feel like his mom and dad had to be there with him. You know, they had no idea what Jesus was going to do. They were just coming for things that they knew that he could do, but they had no idea what he was going to do. But that little boy gave up whatever food they had. It was sacrificially given. And look what Jesus did with it. And now we get to read the story about this little boy. And for me, it was a, it was a challenge, you know, at times, on, at times when, depending on what I have planned for myself, you know, or I place and make something else more important where I need to remember, you know, that when God is calling, I need to respond because I never know what he's going to do. And that's the same for all of you today. You know, and then in this, it's just moving from this. It was interesting. After all of this, and Jesus then sent the disciples, he had done a miracle in front of them, but he was then about ready to do a miracle with them and sending them out into the sea, which I think is interesting, so he could go up and pray. I think his time with his dad was preparing him for what he was going to do with them when he met them, walking on water. You know, so I have a few things I'll share with you, and I'm going to be ending here pretty quick. But to remember, ladies, I'm going to ask you, remember the boy in your own lives from here on out. Go back and revisit his little story, because I think it's, I think it's a great story and what happens when we sacrifice and live like Christ does. But just a few things to share with you. And you know what? I actually got these because I thought it was great. I like the gotquestions.org. I think they come up with the coolest stuff. So just a few things. There are several significant points to recognize about this miracle. First, this is from Matthew. Each one, when you read it, it's interesting how you get this take, you get that take, but you get a more well-rounded view of the whole thing. Um, tells us that the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. Remember that when he had sent them out? But they had been buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. One of the things that I was reading about the wind, do you know I never realized this? I don't know what I was thinking. I know tides. I know all I know 
is because my whole family surfs that when a storm comes, you know, it's either going to be good or lousy. And so I never really think much, and I think that, you know, well, what really makes the waves build? I don't know. I just kind of thought it was underneath or something. And I, when I tell them stuff like that, they look at me like I have, are you kidding me? This long, see, are you kidding me? As long as you've been with us, you don't get the, no. I don't go in the water. I don't try to figure it out. I just kind of watch what they do, you know. But wind is what creates the size. I don't know what I thought created the size. But this was like, oh, this is an aha moment. The next time they're talking to me, I'll be able to tell them. I understand what they're doing. Because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. That was in Matthew 14, 24 and 25. Though they were only to travel a short distance, the storm was so violent that despite all their efforts to control the boat, the storm had driven them nearly four miles out into the sea. That means they've been rowing, 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 rowing against the wind, and they were, they were getting farther away from what their final destination they thought was. Being the fourth watch of the night is, is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. They had been rowing and straining at their oars for approaching nine hours. They were probably completely and utterly exhausted. Have you guys ever had to, like, just in something that you're doing athletically, had to just work at something to the point that you thought, I can't even go another step? I have. <laughs> so I kind of like looked at this and thought, boy, but they're in a perilous environment. They don't have any resources to help them other than just the 12 of them, and they're not getting anywhere with it. Mark tells us, so this is Matthew's take on it, but Mark tells us when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. You know what's interesting? Why did they not see him for who he was? I'll tell you, I have that. I have that down. They cried out because all, all saw him and were terrified. But I thought when I was reading this, Peter didn't. At some point, Peter called out to him. He kind of recognized him. But, and, and this brings to us, here's a second point in the miracle. Jesus always, this is what I liked about what I was reading, because I find this to be true. Jesus always comes to us in the storms of life. I don't know who's sitting in here this morning that is in a storm of life, but I'm telling you, when you're calling out to him, because that's what Peter did, they're all, you know, you're looking to him. He meets you in that place. This is reminiscent of the words of God to Isaiah. I loved this too. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. That is Isaiah 43.2. A truth that we can put in the bank. When you're in those places, go back to Isaiah 43, verse 2, and pray with him about that. The Lord may not come at the time we think he should come. That's where I get my biggest issues. That's where I struggle at times. I want him when I want him. Because I don't understand exactly what he's after. Because he knows when we need him the most. He comes at the most appropriate time. He knows exactly when he's going to meet your needs and when it's going to be right. He doesn't come to us in our wants. It's different. Jesus had waited until the boat was as far from land as possible when all their hope was gone. In essence, Jesus was testing the disciples' faith on water. Jesus was, was, and he meant, removing every human prop. 
That's when I think, and I do have some things in my life where every single thing I was relying on in my life was stripped from me. There was nothing else I could turn to. And in that point, it's difficult because you see things getting worse all around you. And isn't it interesting when you finally come to the point and you realize I've left the most important person out of my life. And when I finally called out to him, he walked on water to meet me. Why did Jesus walk on water? To show his disciples that the very thing they feared, because that's what has happened to me. The raging, seething sea was merely a set of steps for him to come to them. Often we fear the difficult experiences of life, such as illness, loss of loved ones, financial hardships, only to discover that these experiences can bring Jesus closer to you. Rather than looking at what they are in reality to you in the moment, think through this on what Jesus can do through them. There are things. That's what I'm beginning to recognize, what I'm beginning to know to be truth. Every single thing that has ever happened to me in my life had purpose from God's perspective. Nothing happens that he doesn't know about. It's not like all of a sudden some angel goes up to heaven and reminds him, or he's bringing new thoughts to him. Like, oh, by the way, Denise down there is a mess. <laughs> You've forgotten about, he's never forgotten about me. And he always has purpose. And the difficulties that I've had to go through in my own life, he will do the same for you. And when I get through those and I look back, it's like driving through the car and I'm, I'm driving and I'm looking through my rear view mirror, I am reminded of how good God has been to me. And in that, I can worship. That's been a gift too. But we have to ask, why did they not recognize Jesus? Why do you think, ladies? He didn't, they didn't recognize him. You know what? The answer is that they weren't looking for him. They had been rowing, 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 and rowing. And they had been trying in all their own resources. I think they had come to a point that they didn't even think Jesus was going to meet them. I'm sure, I honestly believe, knowing how people react, all 12 of them thought, he sent us out here to drown. <laughs> that would not surprise me, ladies. We have no help. Had they been waiting by faith, they would have known him instantly. Instead, they jumped to the false conclusions that his appearance was that of a ghost. The point is this, and this is one of the things that it, when I, as I was reading, I want to remember this. Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. For fear frequently blinds the eyes to the presence of the Lord, and fear also can strip us of our hope. But, the third point, and I'm going to be wrapping up here soon. Jesus proved himself to be in command of the elements. Something only God can do. He revealed this truth to disciples who recognized his divinity and responded with a confession of faith in Jesus as God. I loved that when I read this. The wind died down immediately, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This was the first time Jesus was called the Son of God by the disciples. 
A statement that, in fact, built on what they had said earlier about him in Matthew 8, 27. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Here they answered their own question. Truly, you are the Son of God. I thought Jesus must have loved that. Though they had a long way to go in their spiritual understanding, the disciples were growing in their faith in the Lord. And ladies, this is really what he does for us is that as we continue with him and as we continue to learn with him, as we continue to struggle with him, as we continue to be imperfect beings with him, he increases our faith, he shows himself to be who he really is, and he gives our life purpose. And the same way that he used that little boy, he'll use us. And for us to have the faith to know that no matter where we're at, no matter how difficult life is, no matter what the things are that are going around you, I love the idea that he will walk on water to find you. And he won't let you sink. He, you won't be going into the, to the deep. And you know what I thought too? In one, of the, in one of the Gospels it said that he reached down and they were at their final destination. As soon, and I thought about that, you know, for myself. That really and truly, our final destination comes, I think, sooner than we think. It isn't something that we have to fight to get there to be. And how beautiful will that be when we finally have our final destination with him? I think he will bring us home. So, it is now 1020. I'm going to dismiss you guys. Unless you, do you have anything in your read today or this morning as you're sitting here? that you have a question over or anything in what I shared doesn't mean I'm going to have the answers to all of it <laughs> but does anyone have any kind of a question or anything that you had in there that you thought wow I don't really understand this because if not I'm going to oh and you know what I have if you ever come to my house in my bathroom I was thinking about the little boy giving fish and the, and the multiplications of what happened and this was out of, out of Luke 6 38 <laughs> Um, and what happened when the little boy gave five loaves of bread and two fish, the multiplication that came from it? This is what it says. Because in, I've got a little container, I mean a little holder. And these little things are in them, in my bathroom, on the, ca on the little vanity. But they're there for you to take if you ever come to my house. And you know what? They get less and less. Each time I go in and look, I go, I don't know who's taken one of these, but praise the Lord they took them. So I took one myself today that said, for if you give, which is what that little boy did, you will get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, and running over. And that doesn't mean physically. But isn't that a beautiful scripture to think of what when we give sacrificially? So ladies... If he's calling you, think about giving sacrificially to what he's going to call you to do. And don't forget the little boy. All right? So you're dismissed. And go ahead and go into your group. Have a good time of sharing. Share the things that God gave you that you can share one with another. There's something great in that. And ask the questions, the hard questions that need to be asked. Thank you, Denise. That sure. was great.